Hello and welcome to Join the Club. My name is Holly. I acknowledge the lands and waters of the Wajak people of the Noongar Nation. I pay respect to the ancestors past and elders present and those emerging and to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. I am and will continue to be inspired by the incredibly rich culture of the Wajak people and their connection to family and others. Welcome to another episode of Join the Club podcast. Thank you for tuning in for what is officially the second episode of the podcast. In the very first episode, I introduced myself and shared a little bit about my life and also the purpose and vision of Join the Club podcast. I hope that in that episode, it gave you a bit of a snapshot of what this podcast is aiming to be and hopefully what some future episodes will look like. In today's episode, I'm going to be the first person to officially join, ask you to join the Extreme Relocator Club. And I'm going to be sharing my story and my childhood journey um, of my multiple moves overseas Um, and a very quick snapshot of why I'm labelling this an extreme relocator club is because in my lifetime I have lived in 18 different houses. Um, So I'm not sure if that sort of really... (laughs) captures um yeah what this episode may entail and before I start though I thought I might begin the episode by sharing a highlight of my week I guess actually a highlight of my day is where I'm at right now which is it is eight o'clock at night my husband is out uh, catching up with a friend who is visiting, who's in town, um, who he lives overseas, so they're catching up, which is really cool. My daughter is fast asleep in bed. My gorgeous dog is fast asleep on the floor. Um, I have got my feet up on the couch. I've got a cup of tea, and oh my gosh, it is just the best feeling ever. Just so, oh, so relaxing. It is great. The little things in life is what makes it really actually a really fun um, outing with my daughter. So we'd had a busy morning doing just like our usual um, activities that we do and I was trying to think of something that was going to fill my cup and also be fun for her at the same time as well. And for those people who live in Australia or maybe have an understanding of the wonder of this place I'm going to talk about, um, like you'll get it. And if you don't get it, well, okay, that's fine. Um, I'm not going to judge you. We went to Bunnings, right? Oh my gosh, Bunnings, like uh, one of the best places ever. And I cannot believe as a 33-year-old person, I am now saying that, whereas I grew up, but I don't know if anyone can relate to this, I grew up hating when my dad would drag me around Bunnings on the weekend. I'd be like dragging my feet. I'd be like, oh my gosh, dad, how long do we have to stay in this shop for? It's so boring. He's like looking at tools and looking at paint samples. And I only just wanted to get the sausage sizzle, right? I was like, come on, if you're going to drag me to Bunnings, at least I have to get a sausage sizzle and a can of soft drink. So yes, as an adult, I can truly now appreciate, like I get it. I get it, dad. I get why you 
love Bunnings so much. I wouldn't say I share the appreciation of tools that my dad and also my husband who my husband is a um, a carpenter by trade and he just loves like DIY stuff. He loves the tool section like that is just his happy place. For me, it's the garden section. Now, if you walked into my house, like you would not think that like we're into gardening. Like we've got some cute indoor plants, like kind of the stock standard, nothing special. Um, but lately, because I'm, I would not say that I am a gardener at all. It's just something I've been enjoying doing lately. Is uh, we have a a really small um, courtyard in our house. We don't have a proper garden, so I've been trying to um, use that space more effectively. And recently, my husband made using pallets. He made a vertical garden, so we have a really cute vertical garden. If you check out my Instagram, which is join the club podcast, you'll see I've posted a video of my Bunnings trip and also a little clip of our vertical garden there, which is just used with those recycled um, pallets. You do need to make sure with the recycled pallets that they are heat treated um, pallets. Um, and we don't, we haven't painted them or anything like that. Um, but yeah, you can have a look in that video um, really quick, like simply how we made them. And then we've got um, all sorts of like herbs and we've got some other like vegetables and things growing in there. Um, so yeah, it's just something that makes me really happy. And part of my morning routine is that in the morning, um, and especially now in Australia, as the, um, seasons are changing and it's becoming, um, lighter earlier in the morning when my daughter wakes up, we will go outside to the courtyard out the back and I'll sit down with a coffee and she's happily playing away with the dog in the background. And usually at the moment, both the dog and the child are kind of play fighting over a ball that they found. I'm just trying to like get into like my Zen, like my Zen kind of train of thought and get ready for the day. I've got my coffee. I might be listening to like a podcast in the background while they're playing. And then I've just been loving, loving like watering the, yeah, like the little garden that we have. It's really, it's a really nice part of my day and feel a sense of accomplishment with how the, the plants are growing. They're actually doing pretty well. I find they're doing much better in a vertical garden setup than in like the pots that I've had before. Not sure why. Um, and that definitely says a lot about my lack of gardening skills, but hey, it's working and I will take that as a win about Bunnings um, and no I'm definitely not sponsored by Bunnings and Bunnings if you're listening to this I would love to be your ambassador because I think you're a really great place. <laughs> um, so today I would like to invite you welcome you to join the Extreme Relocator Club and I wonder if there are many of you out there who can relate to my story that I am going to share with you because it is one that is quite unique. Um, let me start off in, let's go, let's go back in time, shall we, to 1990 where little, little old Holly was born in Perth, Western Australia, so 33 years ago. I was born, um, my parents, I, I'm not sure if I had mentioned it in the previous episode, my parents are Irish 
um, they were born and raised in Ireland. My dad came from a farming background and his most of his siblings still actually work in agriculture and are farmers um, and still work in the area that he uh, li- live and work in the area where he grew up. And my mum was born and raised in Dublin and is quite the was quite the city slicker. And they came from really polar kind of opposite. Um, upbringings and came together and then in the late 80s they um, migrated out to Australia for a yeah just like a, a change and for different opportunities and then they had me and I was born in 1990 and then I was for the very first few years of my life we lived between a few different towns so we lived in Perth City um, in a um a kind of like a metro suburb um, of Subiaco and then we moved down to um, a coastal town called Mandra and we lived there for a few years and I really don't have much memory of that to be honest like yeah not sure why but I don't really remember that time I just have a look at photos and and mum and dad like will share you know all the different stories of that time and interesting fact my mum bless her didn't have her driver's license at that time it wasn't until I think it was my middle sister was born that she got her driver's license so she used to ride around town with me on her bike everywhere I would just walk everywhere like the woman would have been so fit so fit and so tanned <laughs> um and yeah and that was sort of um the first few years of my life and then we moved to uh, we bought our like our family home and we moved to Rockingham once my parents um had my two younger sisters we needed a bigger place and then when I was eight years old my parents decided that they wanted a change and my dad was looking for a like other work and to be closer to his family he's quite close to his family and at the time my nana was still alive that's my my dad's mum was still alive and they decided to move us back not back sorry they decided to move back to Ireland because my sisters and I had never lived there before and this was when I was in year three um so I was only eight years of old we moved back to Ireland we moved to Ireland for the very first time and we lived in a small town called Port Leash, which is in County Leash in the Republic of Ireland. And in that time, it was very different to my first few years living in Australia and my early primary school years. Schooling is f- quite different to the kind of schooling that you have here in Australia. Uh, I went to the local primary school in Port Leash in Ireland and it was actually run by the nuns. So there was this beautiful old um, school building that um, the most of the teachers were, were nuns, which is very unusual even for that time in the late 90s. Um, some of them were really beautiful and sweet and then there were others who were really quite scary. Um, but overall, I, I really enjoyed being at that school and I have some happy memories from that time but then a year later my parents and I really should ask them exactly why um, they decided no we're going back to Australia again Um, and I know that a lot of it was to do with my dad's work so my dad um, he works in construction and mining so 
you know, um, for those who may not be familiar with, um, particularly in Perth, Western Australia, like mining is a huge industry over here and it's a great opportunity for, for families in some ways. It's a tough lifestyle because it involves working away, having to fly out to the mine site for weeks at a time and then you fly home to see your family for like a week and then you go back again. Um, so throughout my childhood, my dad was working away a lot, which meant that my mum was the sole carer for you know a lot of the time and that meant she made a lot of sacrifices too for us growing up um but yes so we moved back to Australia in 1999 and um went back to my Australian primary school and then as I was getting settled and like reconnecting with my friends that I had before we'd moved to Ireland and yeah, like things are going back to normal again. And then a year later, my parents decided to move back to Ireland again. And I know from memory at this time, and now that I'm reminiscing and kind of thinking about this time, that I do remember that my nana was quite unwell. And I reflect on that, you know, my dad growing up that he grew up on a farm, um, very traditional Catholic Irish, like Irish home that, you know, you kind of just, you keep your emotions under, under wraps. Like he, you know, you just state the facts, things are as they are. And as the Irish say, as the Irish say, ah, sure, she'll be grand. I'll be grand. Like no bother. Like, no worries. Like, almost like that Australian mentality a bit as well. Like, it's like, ah, it's fine. Like, we're not going to stress about it. But I, I, I do remember that time that my nana had been diagnosed with breast cancer and she ended up having um, a mastectomy on one of her breasts and the trooper that this woman was, she did not care. She was not bothered in the slightest and didn't want a breast reconstruction. Like, she was like, no, nah, I'm fine. I'm getting on with my life. Yeah, she's just an incredible woman. And I know that dad was really missing um, that connection to our extended family. And at the time as well, the Irish economy was booming. It was going through what was called the Celtic Tiger, where um, construction was just going through the roof. And it was a really great opportunity for dad to get some awesome work as well. So we moved back to Ireland again. So let's rewind. We'd moved back in 98 for a year. Then we moved back to Australia in 99. Then a year later in 2000, we moved back to Ireland again. And I remember it was year 2000 because for those that are of my age and older, remember the 2000 Olympics? Oh, my goodness. It was the 2000 Sydney Olympics, right? It was like the biggest thing and like, you know, going into like the new millennium and it was like, oh, like this incredible big event for Australia. And I like have these vivid memories of that time. Um, not that we went over there for the Olympics, but I remember on the way to um, back to Ireland again, we went through Sydney because I have an uncle, my mum's brother who lives in Sydney. And I remember him bringing us to like where the Olympic pools were in Sydney, which was really cool. Cause I grew up um, swimming as um, my main sport that I did. And that was a really cool experience and a nice memory. Um, so yes, we moved back to Ireland and this time we moved to a different town and this town is called Newbridge, which is in County Kildare, which is about an hour's drive from Dublin. 
Dublin. It's a bigger town than Port Leash. Um, to us, a bit of a nicer town. It's really beautiful. Like we've got the main river in Ireland is called the River Liffey, and that river flows kind of through Newbridge. I guess the idea being like new bridge because there's like a bridge that goes over the river and connects like one side of the town to the other and underneath that bridge (laughs) teenagers got up to all sorts of stuff underneath that bridge because that was right near where the main secondary schools in the town were and also near like well everything was in walking distance but if you were to like hang out with your friends and like I don't know like ditch school or just be like a little bit naughty like under that bridge was like <laughs> the place to hang out, which is kind of gross when you think about it because the river's like not very nice. Um, but, yeah, a, like a, a sweet little town um, which hasn't changed too much. They've got like a big shopping centre now there. But, yeah, like, yeah, just like a smallish sort of town and um, we lived there for four, five years, five years. So I moved there when I was in year five, when I was um, about 10, 10-ish. And I did, I completed my primary school and then I went to secondary school there and I went to an all-girls school. Now in Ireland, high school is, well, they call high school in Australia, but in um, Ireland they call it secondary school and secondary school in Ireland is a bit different to in Australia and possibly um, like the US as well where the government schools like the state schools are actually usually um, have a religious denomination attached to them and in the Republic of Ireland most of those are Catholic so if you're just going to like the regular school in town where you're not paying fees it'd normally be a Catholic school um so the high school that I the secondary school I went to was called Holy Family Holy Family Secondary School and that what is an all-girls school um, run by the Sisters of the Holy Family. And then across the road was um, the all-boys school, which I believe was maybe a Christian Brothers school. Um, and if you wanted to go to the private school with a fee-paying school, normally that wouldn't have been Catholic. That would have, like, the one in Newbridge, I believe, was maybe, like, Anglican or be another Christian denomination. Um, and now, you know, I don't know. I haven't lived in Ireland for a long time. I still believe that a lot of the sort of state schools are still like Catholic run. Um, Not many of them have nuns or priests working or running them anymore, mostly lay people now. Uh, Yeah, but it's just a bit different. Whereas here in Australia, definitely government schools have no religious denomination. If you want your child to go to a Catholic school, you need to pay fees. It's a private school. Um, and I believe it's similar in, um, you know, other countries, like in the States as well. Like if you go to um, a public school, it'll have a no religious denomination attached to it as such. And if you decide that you want to send your child to a school with a religious uh, denomination attached to it, that it's then a private school. Anyway, so lived there, went there um, until I went to high school, a secondary school there until I was 15. And you know what it's like when you're 15? Like it's tough. It is not easy being a 15-year-old, especially one, having moved so many times and I was only just making friends at that stage and I had one particular friend who, um, Sarah, who I'm extremely close to now, like I still count her as one of my closest friends. I had her, which was amazing. 
And I do know that my sisters probably struggled more with it, with um, holding on to those friendships. Um, that's something I'll talk about in a moment is um, issues with friendships growing up, having moved so often. Um, so, sorry, yes. Then what happened was when I was in fifth class is what they call it in um, Ireland, but in Australia it's year 11. Um, or in America, you may say like the 11th grade, which is your second last year of high school. My parents decided they were going to move back to Australia this time um, because the mining boom was kicking up again and the Irish economy was slowing down. So my parents thought, nah, now's the time to go. We're going to go back. We're going to move back to Australia and kind of like set our roots there. Or <laughs> so they said. Um, and that was the last time that our family as a whole unit moved um, countries and yeah the actual like ins and outs of moving I think because we had done it so many times by the last time it was like nothing it was like a no-brainer like we hopped on the plane we'd already sold half of our furniture like we didn't take much with us and we were sort of used to that because that's what we'd grown up doing we didn't hold on to you know special toys that we'd had growing up um, or hoarded things or became possessed over like um, material objects. We definitely had special things to us like a particular maybe blanket and things like that, which actually to this day I know that I've got a few of my toys that my mum held on to growing up um, and a few like little sentimental like little baby shoes and things like that. Um, but, yeah, there wasn't too much which um, we carted to and fro across um, overseas, which which was totally fine. We didn't need to. I think that's also helped um, me in my life as well not put too much value on material things. Um, so anyway, yes, we laid our roots, um, back in Perth and we were living in Mandurah, which is a coastal town about an hour away, um, an hour South of, uh, of Perth. And I finished my high school and that was really hard, like moving back. And now mind you, okay, you're probably thinking like this person sounds they got a really, really strong Australian accent and that's something really funny growing up now that I think about it. My accent has changed so many times over the years and I'm not sure if that's part of the gift of this childhood experience is that I tend to like just pick up things really quickly in new situations. So when um, in 2016 I was living overseas, um, I was living in London for a year and teaching over there and I actually found that like once I was at a – I taught at this school, this one particular primary school for my whole time there and it's in a, a town called Dagenham which is in, in Essex which is sort of like on the border of like East London and Essex. I found myself like starting to pick up their accent really, really quickly. And it wasn't until I'd be like talking to my family on the phone, like they would pick up little things. And, yeah, it was kind of funny. Um, but when I had moved back to Perth for the last time, I had a really strong, really, really strong Irish accent. And I'll never forget I had, you know, a couple of people sort of probably just playfully tease me about the way I would say certain words and pronounce things. And I was such a self-conscious teenager, like so shy, so self-conscious that I just made it a mission of mine 
to ditch the Irish accent and pick up an Australian accent as soon as possible. And by the end of my first six months, like that was it. My Irish accent was gone and I was full, like true blue Aussie strong as accent. You would not have thought that I had just moved back from Ireland. Um, whereas it's funny cause my younger sister, she still has, and maybe that's because she spent so many of her younger years in Ireland that, um, she's still got like quite a twang to her accent. She, like the way she pronounces certain words, but my parents, they never like their accent has not faltered. Like they have a very strong Irish accent. So I find that kind of interesting how accents can, I don't know, like if you have moved frequently as a child, do you just adapt, um, quickly and you pick up the accent that you are surrounded by, but then why is it that adults, um, tend to, if they've moved later in life, they tend to hold on to their accent they've grown up with. I'm, I'm sure there's like some, you know, psychological um, study that's linked to that. I'm not sure, but yeah, just something really interesting to reflect on. And then, yes, yeah, so finished high school in Mandra and then I went straight into university and studied primary school teaching and was living there. And then when I graduated high, uh, high school, when I graduated university, I got a job um, at a school um, in the northern suburbs of Perth and I was like, get me out of here. I need to move out. I need to go somewhere different. And I moved um, up to Perth with um, one of my friends and, yeah, that was really great. And I, in that time, like I mentioned I lived overseas in London for a year and in that time I was house sharing with a few different people, lived in a couple of different flats and, yeah, that is that was such an awesome year and I'd love to share the story of um, living overseas or doing the whole London experience for a year. Like highly, highly recommend if that is something that you would love to do. Just, just go do it. It was awesome. No regrets whatsoever. And you know what? Like a year is just a year in the scheme of your whole life. It is like one chapter in your whole beautiful book that is your life. And upon reflection, like it was just one small little snippet. And I know that if I didn't do that, I would regret it. And I'm really, really glad that I did. And, you know, I don't, you come back and, like, not much has changed, especially in Perth. Like, you come back and, you know, things get back to normal and you kind of slip back into the way life was before. So, yeah, if something, if you're feeling, like, held back and you're not sure, just do it. Just go. Just go. Everything will be <laughs> Everything will be pretty normal the way it was before. Um Although I am saying that with complete privilege because I know how hard it was for a lot of people during like the COVID pandemic and how people got locked out and with borders and everything. And, oh, trust me, I know because um, my dad and my sister both were not able to get um, home to Perth for my wedding. So, yeah, like it's been a hard time. And a wedding is minor in the scheme of things. Like I know of people who have not been able to get back um, or cross the borders and it has meant that they have, you know, gone through catastrophic life situations for that. So, yes, as I said, I'm coming from a, you know, a minor problem and a very privileged sort of stance there. Do keep that in mind. Um, Yes, so then in between the time of London and to now, so from 2017 to to now I have lived in six different houses. 
I've moved around a lot, um, renting, living with friends, like all sorts of different situations um, to where I am now where I'm living with my husband and living with my daughter. Anyway, that is a very, very quick, what seems quick to me because, yeah, my, obviously my childhood is is, is so, so many chapters and, and a huge story that I could talk about for a long time, but I won't bore you with any more details. So, yes, in total that was 18 homes in my lifetime so far and hopefully to add another home to that list as we are currently in the desperate search of trying to find our family home. Uh, and for those that are on that journey with their own family or by themselves searching for a property at the moment, I feel you and I'm holding your hand through this and I know how hard it is at the moment. So, yes. Um, things that have been tough with being in this club, okay? So, it's not all sunshines and sh- sunshine and roses if you are in the Extreme Relocator Club. It sounds glamorous at times. Oh, you know, oh, I lived overseas for this time of my childhood and then we moved back and, oh, don't get me wrong, the experience was great in some ways and I will talk about the badges of honour that come with being in this club. But there were some really tough parts too. And i probably say the main one was friendships and how that has affected me growing up um, to now as an adult um, and how stability in being where I am has been really helpful for me with my friendships. First of all, I have to say I grew up in the 90s and the early 2000s where we didn't have social media, we didn't have even really the internet to keep in contact with friends, Um, whereas now I know it's like so different, like my students that, you know, that I teach are, you know, messaging each other after school to like catch up and hang out and it's just communication is just so much more accessible and seamless now than it ever was and they can FaceTime their family members overseas and all those sorts of things. But then I guess for me I just didn't have in those sort of formative years I didn't have the stability of that core group of friends growing up Um, and that was hard I didn't, and also my um, personality at the core is I'm quite a, I may not sound it, but I I can be very shy and introverted um, and socially awkward. I'm a very socially awkward person um, and I struggle in um, new situations and being around new people. And that's something I'd really like to talk about a little bit further um, around the topic of um, social anxiety and being surrounded by large groups of people and how I sort of um, can deal with that in different times. Now it's time for the badges of honour. And I would like to award myself quite a few different badges of honour as a member of the Extreme Relocator Club. The first one is I believe that being a part of this club allows you to put less value on material objects. So with having, you know, to frequently move and um, give away toys or to pass on clothes and different things that I had, um, you know, had in my room, I just got used to it. And I never really held too much value in those material objects and those physical, tangible things. Now, maybe my mum and dad could (laughs) 
maybe challenge that point. But I feel that that has um, reflected on me and molded um, me into the person I am today that I feel as an adult, I don't really hold a huge amount of value on material possessions. I mean, when I moved over to London in 2016, I sold everything. Like I did not have one thing that I held on to. I just was like, eh, like I'll sort something out and you make it work. Like you just live within your means. And for me, it's the the things that matter the most are those memories, like whether that's photos, um, maybe letters that someone's written, um, yeah, all those sort of things that like those memories, those core memories that you can talk about and reminisce and laugh and bond over, like that's really important. Whereas the actual material physical objects that you have in your home, um, to me, now I know this is very different for everybody in their different situation, but for me, yeah, I mean, it, it's okay. Of course I do have things that are sentimental and uh, to me now that like, you know, if we were to move tomorrow, I want to take with me. But overall, I would say that um, I don't hold a huge amount of value in, in stuff. The other thing I would say is that I'm a really great traveler. Like having moved um, and felt like very comfortable with a lot of the, the travel that we did as a family, that yeah, it built my confidence as a traveler. And in my 20s, I did a huge amount of solo trips. Um, and I, yeah, like I went to Nepal by myself um, and joined a tour group, which was incredible. Like an amazing experience. Um, I've been through other parts of Asia as a solo traveler. Um, and yeah, my time living in London and a few trips by myself as well. Um, yeah. And I believe it's just built my confidence when it comes to traveling in saying that though, I have not left Western Australia since, uh, the start of 2020, um, for obvious reasons. Uh, and then yeah, flash forward to now, um, put in a wedding and having a baby. There's just haven't, we haven't had the, the finances or the time or the want to travel anywhere. So yeah, um, get back, I'll get back to you when it actually comes to the first trip and let's see how much of a great traveler I am then, especially with a toddler. The other thing I would say is a badge of honour of being in the Extreme Relocator Club is being able to cope well with change to an extent, like being used to change and having to adapt quickly to new environments. I wouldn't say that I am amazing when it comes to it, but I would say I have built coping strategies and mechanisms where I can probably deal with it in a relatively um, positive way in a positive manner. And to the extent where I actually really enjoy change when it comes to like my work situation, I don't like, I don't like the idea of being in one position or at one school for 20 years. Whereas I have friends who are really happy in that situation and that works well for them. Whereas I have worked, um, you know, at many different schools throughout my career and I'm sure I'll work at many others and I enjoy that. I just like, you know, new challenge, um, meeting different people and um, building my skill set um, by changing. Yeah. Um, so I think that about wraps it up for um, the club 
of the extreme relocators. And if there's anybody out there who already feels that they are a lifelong member of this club, whether you can relate to the childhood journeys of moving overseas multiple times, maybe once, or maybe this was this is your reality as an adult, um, I'd love to hear from you. I would love for you to um, share your journey of this and, and are there any parts that I've shared that you can connect to, that you can relate to? Perhaps there's other people listening who have the opposite experience and have lived in the one town their whole life and haven't moved. Like how has this episode sort of, um, I guess, opened your eyes in a way? Have you found it interesting? How do you think that you would have coped in your childhood with this situation? Um, it would have been something that you would have enjoyed to do and is it something that you would maybe like to do in the future? Yeah, just something to think about and something to ponder. Um, but yeah, as always, thank you. If you have gotten to the end of this episode, thank you so much. You are an amazing individual and I really appreciate you. I'm very, very grateful. Um, yes. And if you could do me a huge favor, I'm just, um, itsy bitsy little teeny weeny mini podcast at the extreme early stages of this journey. And I would be forever grateful if you could subscribe on whichever, um, podcast service you are listening through and follow me on Instagram at join the pod dot just join the pod blah, join the club dot podcast um that would be amazing and yes thank you and I will speak to you very soon bye <laughs>